deep in the human unconscious is a pervasive need for a logical universe that makes sense. But the real universe is always one step beyond logic. From The Sayings of Muhadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Reading Dune, a podcast where we read Dune by Frank Herbert and talk about it. If you're a Fremen or a first-time reader, this podcast is for you. My name is Caleb Pauls. And I'm Evan Diaz. And together, we are going to read some Dune. Yeah, we are. Yeah, there we go. Evan, how are you doing? Good. Obviously, I'm a little late, laggy here, but... Our fans know how it goes. Oh, gosh. I just don't want to be known as the the lag people, like the doing podcast that lags. I'm just, I try to fix that in post for the actual podcast, but it's hard sometimes. We got to do what we can when we live on a planet with very little water slash Wi-Fi. Yes, that's so true. Slash Wi-Fi. That's it. Dun, 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 dun. This is the part of the show where we talk about of fans, somebody who's reading the show, uh, somebody of our tribe, their favorite part of Dune. And so you can send in your favorite parts of Dune to us via uh, our email, readingdune at gmail.com. You can do a regular old email like I have on my telephone here, or we you can like send in an audio or a video clip and we'll play it and it's, you know, all that cool stuff. Readingdune, gmail.com. Your favorite moment. All right. This email is from uh, Troya. She says, or he says, I don't know. It, it genders hard at this point. Uh, hey, Caleb and Evan. I love the show and I'm trying to tune in more for the live stream on YouTube Thursday nights when I get off work. Troya, I, ho- I hope you're here. I finished doing last week, so I might go ahead. I might be ahead of where you guys are in the show. But her fav- favorite moments. One. I cannot get it out of my head after the dinner party chapter. Paul's parable about the drowning fisherman. Do you remember this one, Evan? Yes. No. He said no. The the parable where they're the fishermen are climbing over each other's shoulders just to get to the surface and not drown. It's like climbing on top of each other. Yes. Yes. Um Troy says, is it just me or is this summarize the way the Harkonnens do just about everything? The second point is that water is obviously a super precious to the Fremen. So I couldn't be, I couldn't help but be surprised that they drink coffee. I imagine it would be a delicacy, but when they mention it as the Fremen to be a common thing, it just, it was crazy. Anyway, keep, mm-hmm. keep being spicy and I hope... You guys have a wonderful Christmas. They sent us this in Christmas, and I'm reading it now here in March. So thank you for sending in your emails. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Spice coffee. Uh, we're going to learn more about that. It's going to pop up, not in this chapter, but in some, I think, a couple of chapters to come here. We're going to learn all about how spice coffee works. Good to know. Good to know. I tried to uh, but, make, make some spicy coffee uh this week and it went okay i don't i'm still working with the recipe what'd you do i i added like cinnamon turmeric uh ginger black pepper a very specific mixture of those into my coffee it was pretty it was pretty dope it was pretty good but i want it to be like real 
you know? You need that extra cinnamon in there to get that big, hit you right in the face with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I picked this quote, though, for this chapter because it really does that parable of the um, in the dinner party where they talk about the fisherman trying to survive by, like, uh, standing on top of each other in order to survive. That they'll, they'll, it's not about both of them surviving. It's about one of them surviving by killing the other just to survive. And I does, I do think that like, it's a great example of how the Harkonnens work. It's just funny that Paul said it. Right. Um, so yes. Now, okay. So now I want to get into this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes in the book. Uh, because I feel like it's so apropos and it applies to my life, probably your life too, Evan, probably more likely than we like to think. Um, yeah, for sure. You want to read me that quote? Yeah, sure. Um, deep in the human unconscious is a pervasive universe that makes sense. But in the real universe, but, 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 but the real universe is always one step beyond. Here's what, here's what I would... Uh, how I would translate that quote um, to like make sense nowadays. Uh, they don't think it'd be like it is, but it do real. Right. Right. Yeah. That that's yes. That's it. As much as we want to like put the universe into a nice little boxes and say, this is how it all works. Somehow it's always one step ahead of us and you can't quite plan your way out of it. That's so real. Unfortunately. Yes. The universe has a mind of its own and it's always just one step beyond what you think makes sense. <laughs> like the smartest people in society are trying to figure out like all these really intricate crazy things about like physics and they get to like where they think this big conclusion is gonna happen and they're like wait what that doesn't make any sense at all that's like the whole the whole scientific problem with the world right now all right let's dive into the chapter we've uh we've spent seven minutes here bum, 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 bum. i want to do a shout out real quick to everybody who is watching for the first time on youtube Woo. we appreciate it proud of you we, yeah you went this whole way with us. We're, we're so excited that you're here. Thank you so much. Evan just did a little cheers to you. Um, here it is. All right. So, Evan, where yes. are we in this chapter? We're still on freaking Giddy Prime, Caleb. Oh, I was so mad. Whoa, that quote is sick. And then I read the thing I sat across from many rulers of great houses, but never one more gross and dangerous. There you are still talking about Baron Conan. <laughs> I was like, live it. I even like commented in the Discord how mad I was about the fact that we're still on Giddy Prime. We're still here. We're still here. But now we're talking to... Uh, the great Thufur Howitt, the Mentat assassin, the previous Mentat who served the Atreides, who is now in servitude to the Harkonnens. And this is where we get Howitt's plan. He has an idea that he's working through, and he wants to see how it's going to plan out with the Baron. But the funny thing about Howitt's plan is uh, I suspect that somebody else is executing this plan better than the Baron. Mm. So the Baron starts off and says, you may speak plainly with me, Howitt. He leans back into his chair. His eyes sunk into the folds of fat, and they were just boring into 
Thufer Howard, who's sitting across from him in this table. And Thufer thinks to himself, I've sat across from many rulers of great houses, but never seen a more gross and dangerous pig than this one. There it is. And he thinks how... Oh my gosh, that if the universe got rid of this guy, it would be a better place. The how it has 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 this thing about Seleucia Secundus and Arrakis. He sees a correlation here and the Baron wants to know what's happening. Well, the Baron said, I wish to know how Arrakis figures into your suspicions about Seleucia Secundus. So evidently, Thufur decided they needed to send a message to Raban about Arrakis. And we never get exactly what we what the message says but i has something to do with warning raban that the emperor is very closely watching right and he needs to like do something and they paid a hefty spice uh price to get this message there and this time the baron is just talking and how it is thinking to himself oh how this baron babbles too much Unlike Leto, who could tell how it's a thing with the raise of an eyebrow, or the old duke before him, who just who could express an entire sentence with just one word, this baron is just talking nonsense, talking. And it, yeah, how it thinks how it would be a service to humankind if this baron was destroyed. Like, oh gosh, I think Evan, you agree with that sentence more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Kind of grim, but... Uh, yeah. So the Baron presses the Mentat more. He says, you will not leave here until I've had a full and complete explanation. How it... Who's been staring at this table the whole time, trying not to look at the Baron, because I'm sure looking at it is difficult. So he looks up at the Baron, and he says, you speak too casually of the Lusa Secundus. The Baron gets out, outraged. Lusa Secundus is the Emperor's most oppressive place. And the emperor does not permit any of the great houses to know what happens on there. Plus, the odds of making it off the prison planet is very slim. Mortality rate is very high. Howitt then notes how all debuts is discouraged. But Howitt puts the pieces together and asks the Baron if he wonders where the emperor keeps his Sardaukar. So it's kind of a, uh, it's an unknown thing where the Sardaukar come from. And everyone's not encouraged to ask, they're, they're discouraged to ask questions. I thought everyone so the Barons, knew. I, I thought so too, but evidently everything, it's like hush hush. Amber has Sardaukar, but no one kind of, okay. okay. But he, he, the Baron speculates that the Emperor recruited a car. Right. Baron says they like sure they're hardcore, but they, they he doesn't know the emperor doesn't know what happens in my dungeons. The Harkonnen fighting force is just as capable capable as the emperor's, right? There's a little bit of pride in there. And this is makes how it just snarl back. The Harkonnen legions are a pack of holiday excursionists in comparison to the Sardaukar. He asks him, you know, do you know why the Emperor turned against House Atreides? And the Baron kind of scowls a little bit, says, this is not in the realm of your speculation. How it shoots back. Any area is open to my speculation. That's what you've hired me to do. I'm a Mentat. You do not withhold information or com- or computation lines from Mentat. The Baron. Tell just, the Baron just stares down at Howitt for a long minute. 
before the Baron spoke. Say what you must, Mentat. So Howard starts explaining why he thinks the Emperor attacks the Atreides with the Harkonnens. So he thinks that the Padasha Emperor turned against House Atreides because of the Duke's war masters, Gurney Howick and Duncan Idaho, were training a fighting force to within a hair as good as a Sardaukar. And the Duke was in a position to enlarge his force, to make it every bit as strong as the Emperor's. This is what Howick thinks. So even on Caladan, with Gurney, Halleck, and Duncan, Idaho, their fighting force was as good, or almost as good, as the Sardaukar, which is, which is a bold statement. And now if they were to go to Arrakis, which is a hardened place, if they could teach the people that have been hardened that way, the way of fighting from Gurney, Halleck, and Duncan, Idaho, that force would be better than the Sardaukar. But um, just as a question, who, Evan, who's the Duke of Arrakis right now? As we speak. Uh, Raban? No, think about it. Who's really the Duke? Oh, Paul. Paul is. And who trained Paul and had a fight? Duncan Idaho, uh, Thufur Howitt, and Gurney Halleck. Uh-huh. And who's he going to train now, though, in his fighting ways, in his weirding ways? The Fremen. <laughs> so little do we know what's happening it's already happening <laughs> i think this was the the what the duke leader was trying to do from the beginning right send duncan idaho out try to bring the fremen in savor good relations but he never got very far in his plan before the attack on arakeen happened so here we are two years later and we don't know what Paul is doing at the moment. We still don't know, two years later. So hearing all of this, the Baron asks, what, what does this have to do with Arrakis? And how it says that Arrakis could provide a pool of recruits who are already conditioned to the bitterest survival training. The Baron shook his head. You cannot mean the Fremen. How it says, I mean the Fremen. <laughs> and Baron laughs at him. Ha ha, then why warn Raban? There can't be more than a handful of Fremen left after the Sardaukar raids and Raban's ruthless oppression. How it just stares blankly at the Baron. Like, you're not putting the pieces together. The Baron then repeats himself. Not more than a handful. Raban killed 6,000 in the last year alone. How it stares blankly back at him and the year before 9,000 and before they left Thardacar have counted 20,000 dead Fremen how it continues to stare but then asks a single question what have been Raban's troop losses for the past two years so sure you've killed all of these Fremen but how many men have you lost hmm the Baron rubs his large hands on his multiple chins. I like imagine like like seventeen chins, just huge. <laughs> and the Baron starts talking out loud. He starts doing some calculations in his head, and then how it interjects. Well, say we lost thirty thousand. The Baron says that's a little high, don't you think? How it rebuttals. <laughs> Quite the contrary. You could read in between the lines of Raban's report just as I can. Baron should get angry. 
Arrakis is a fierce planet. The storm laws. The Mentat interjects. We both know the figure of storm losses. And we both know the transportation manifest of Sardaukar leaving Arrakis. If they did kill 20,000, they lost five to one number of men. Right. Why won't you face these figures, Baron? You understand what they mean? The Baron's face grew dark and cold. <laughs> so, Evan, what, what does this mean? What, what, what do those figures mean? What's, that, what's, what's it going on? He basically, like, logicked his way into explaining to the Baron that there are more Fremen than the Baron thinks there are, and that he's been stupid because it's been in front of his face this whole time, and he should have known that there's way more Fremen than he's, like, expecting there to be. And it's, like, a huge mistake to underestimate the Fremen, basically, right? Yes. Also, the Fremen are very good at killing people. Right. Exactly. They're just like, at some point even says like, the ones that we killed were the weak ones. So the strong ones are somewhere getting stronger. Right. Evolution is happening because we're killing off all the, all the weak ones. Right. What's that supposed to mean? So the Baron spoke coldly, calculated, with almost a measured cadence. This is your job, Mentat. You tell me. So how it begins... He begins his little spiel again. I gave you Duncan Idaho's headcount of the Sietchi visit. He visited. It all fits. They have 250 of such communities. Their population would be 5 million by my estimate that they have maybe twice that spread across the planet. The Baron's jowls quivered. 10 million? At least, how it says. The Baron pursed his lips staring unwavering at the old Atreides Mentat, which he now controlled. And then how it even continues. We haven't even cut heavily into their birth rate yet. We've only helped them by weeding out some of the least successful specimens, leaving them only to grow stronger and stronger, just like on Seleucus Secundus. The Baron still doesn't Do we get know it. how big Arrakis is? <laughs> Dude. I um how big is Arrakis? Uh let's see. I don't know. I I think it's a small planet. I don't think it's a really big planet. Okay. Um because on all the maps I've seen, like they only show us the North Pole. And it goes, I imagine it goes to like the like the the one of the meridian lines. So there's probably the whole southern region we don't sure we don't actually have. I'm sure there's like a exact measurement. I don't have it up top of my head at the moment, but I don't think it's a huge. Gotcha. Just it, the only thing big on the planet is worms and the amount of spice. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the Baron still doesn't see the correlation between Arrakis and Secundus, and so he says. So then, right, so Howitt then tries to explain more. A man who survives on Sosa Secundus starts out by being tougher than everybody else. And then you add the best military training of anybody. And the Baron says, you know, well, then how it continues. Um, like, this is how the Emperor's prison planet works in general. He, he sends people there, and the ones that are strongest survive. Just like on Arrakis. 
and then the, the Baron just goes berserk. Nonsense. By your argument, I could recruit from among the Fremen after the way they've been oppressed by my nephew. And then he gets it. The Baron falls silent, his eyes searching inwardly, thinking, had Raban unwittedly give House Harkonnen its ultimate weapon? Like, could the Harkonnens use the Fremen? Maybe. The Baron, maybe, right? So now how it's like, all right, that's what I want you to get. The Fremen are the key. And that's what, you know, um, Thufur had been telling uh, Duke Leto. The Fremen are the key. Uh, so the Baron then asked Howitt, how could you be so sure to trust the loyalty of such recruits? How do we trust the Fremen? So then Howitt then explains a very simple way to get their trust. He would take small groups of Fremen and then fill them with a mystique that their planet had been a secret training ground, secret training ground to produce superior beings. And such superior beings could earn a rich living, beautiful women, fine mansions, whatever they desired. The Baron started to nod. Ah, uh, the way the Sardaukar live at home. And then recruits with them come to believe that such a place as Seleucus Secundus is justified because it produced them as an elite fighting force. So my question is, Evan, are the Fremen already doing this to themselves? Uh, yeah. Yes. Because they're, they're kind of in the struggle knowing that generations ahead of them will have like something beautiful it's it's like it's similar it's it seems much more uh i don't know like virtuous the way the fremen talk about it you know it's about generations ahead of them and um the planet becoming a paradise it's not about like fighting and power and all that kind of junk but yeah there's a there's a quote from Muhadib later on. I think it's I think it's one of Princess Irulan's quotes, but it's the idea that uh God created Arrakis to train the faithful. Yes. Yeah, we've talked about that. And that is exactly what Howard is suggesting here. Take a group of Fremen and tell them that their planet had been a secret training ground to produce superior beings. God created Arrakis to train the faithful. Zach, to say it's but I, I don't feel like that would work with the Fremen, though. Am I wrong in thinking that? Like, they're, they're it's be like, already no, working. If, if the Harkonnens tried to do it, they'd be like, uh, no, your Harkonnens come, you're durable. That's not how we do this around here. Go die alone, please. Bye. You know? Yeah, I would agree that that the Harkonnens would have no chance to try this. It would take generations. But right. the Bene Gesserit have uh, already implanted something into the people. And uh, we know a certain, we know a certain someone who knows how to work that thing. And what might happen if they can get involved here? So the Baron starts to whisper, ah, such an idea. So how it says, you begin to share my suspicions. So the Baron eager to get started says, so 
where do we where do we start? How it asks another question. Ah, yes. Where did House Carino originate? Where where were their people? Were there people on Seleucus Secundus before the emperor put prisoners there? Such questions are not encouraged. And the Baron something clicks. Ah, oh, Count Fettering. He says, are you getting this? At my nephew's birthday several years ago, the Count came as an official observer and to uh, conclude some business arrangements between the emperors and myself. I believe I <clears throat> can't tell how at that one. Uh, I believe he said something. I said something about making a prison planet of Arrakis and fendering how it interrupts it. What did you, what did you say exactly? Exactly. That was a long time ago. <laughs> and why wasn't the conversation recorded? I need accurate information. The Baron's face darkened with anger. You're as bad as Piter. I don't like these. Piter is no longer with you, my lord. And whatever happened to Piter? No, oh, poor Piter. Poor Piter. Mm, too poor close baby. to that tooth. So the Baron says he became too familiar. Too demanding of tooth. me. <laughs> he became too familiar with the tooth. <laughs> he did. Oh gosh. Could you imagine if Piter would have lived with his blue and blue eyes if he go out and got a Chris knife and got in to a Fremen Sietch? Boy. I just get like Joker vibes, like hardcore for what he would do. Yeah. Oh, oh, this now would not be fun. <laughs> So, the Baron slowly composes his features and says, "It. We were talking about Count Fenring, and the Baron tries to recall where he was in the Great Hall with the cone of silence during this event two years ago." Merritt tells how it. The Emperor always knows a certain amount of killing has always been an arm of business. I, I was, of course, referring to our force losses. And then I said something about considering another solution to the Arakeen problem. And I said the Emperor's prison plan inspired me to emulate him. You know, just to work and get spice, no big deal, nothing crazy. I don't know if anybody, I don't know if he was thinking this far ahead, but how it snaps. Witch blood. What did Fenring say? And it's funny because he says he says witch blood and he's like 100% referring to like B'nai Jesuits. Like, oh, those witches, damn them. Oh, you think? I thought it was just like uh, just like a spacey, a space, an imperial cuss word, you know, like. (laughs) Well, I mean, who else has been called a witch? The B'nai Jesuit, Jessica, you know. Right. Yeah, it's just the, the ultimate their ultimate evil in the world, always behind the scenes. Oh, witch blood. I just love that. <laughs> and then, so, Howard asks, so what did Fenring say after that? And the Baron says, that's when he began questioning me about you. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Howard sat back, closed his eyes, and he started doing some mentat calculations. What's going to happen next? Well, the thing is done. Nothing is innocent in the Emperor's eyes. They must have spies all over Arrakis. 
Two years. Ah, what were your instructions to Raban? The Baron said his instructions to Raban was to. Do you remember what it was? But what, what what did he tell Raban back in the to teach Arrakis to fear them? That's what the yeah. that's what the next line says. To squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. yes, <laughs> squeeze everything out. Fear, yeah, make it make the people fear them. So how it presents two solutions now to their problem, right? His mentab brain has done the thing, done all the probabilities, and there's two things you could do. Number one, kill all the natives. Just a big old genocide. Kill everybody off. But that would mean there would be no more workforce on Arrakis. Or the second option is you abandon Raban completely. Cut off all communications for the most part. Send no more troops in. Just let him squeeze now because he has nothing more to like. He's getting no more reinforcements at all. Right. So the Howard suggests we do this because if we don't, we need a we need a plan to stop the emperor from attacking us. Because Howard says. If you don't do either of these two options, the emperor will rally the other great houses around him and wipe out the Harkonnens because they've become a bigger threat to the to the emperor's throne. Much like what he did to House Atreides with the Harkonnens. Right. But the Baron then says, but what about the spice? It always comes down to the spice, Evan. Always. Yep. So Howard suggests that the spice quotas remain the same knowing that Raban without reinforcements and still need to meet the same spice quota will only oppress the population more. And then in order to keep the Baron's hands clean, while Raban creates the ideal environment, just like someplace like Seleucus Secundus. The Baron could not keep the light tone of admiration out of his voice. Ah, Howitt, you are a devious one. Now, how do we move into Arrakis and make use of what Raban prepares? So, Howitt continues to explain in his, you know, oratory kind of way that the simplest thing to do would be to demand a higher spice quota. And when the beast Raban cannot meet that quota, the Baron can then remove the beast and correct the mess. Very simple. And this is where the Baron puts his own twist. The Baron says, ah, this fits. I'm preparing another to take over a racket for me. Howis studies the fat, round, baby face across from him. Uh. Slowly, the weathered old soldier spy nodded his head. He figured it out. Mm. Fade Rautha. That is the reason for the oppression now. You're very devious, Baron. Perhaps we can incorporate these two schemes. And Fade can do to Arrakis, or Fade can come to Arrakis as a savior and win the populace, yes? The Baron smiled. But behind that smile, he couldn't help but ask himself, how does this plan fit into how it's personal scheming? How does this benefit how it? Right. What do you think so far? 
I uh, I I mean other than like how it's trying to okay how it's obviously trying to kill the Baron somehow um, but also how it's trying to stay alive and so he's kind of like passing on the scheme slash tactic or, or whatever they were trying to do with the Atreides. Maybe so he can survive long enough for the perfect time to kill the Baron. I don't know. Well, who, do, who does Howitt think? Okay, well, we'll get to that. We'll just continue. So okay. Howitt, seeing okay. that he's dismissed, arose and left the room. As he walked, he could not put down the disturbing unknowns that cropped into every computation about Arrakis. Right? There's too many variables. And now there's this new religious leader that Gurney Halleck had hinted at from his hiding place among the smugglers. This Muhadib. So I just want to stop here and note that he knows that Gurney is alive. And with the smugglers. Right. So that's like a, that's got to be a big plus. But all of a sudden there's this Muhadib that's on the scene. Perhaps I should not have told the Baron to let this religion flourish where it will, or even among the folk of Pan and Graben. But it's well known that repression makes religion flourish. He thought about Halleck's reports on Fremen battle tactics. The tactics smacked Halleck himself and Idaho, and even of Howitt. So the battle tactics are starting to remind Halleck of his own battle tactics and, in, and of Duncan's and of, of Howitt's. Why is all of this happening? Ooh, I'm surprised that they're not like making that computation. You know what I mean? Right. He still hasn't put it together yet. So, but he asked the question, maybe, maybe Idaho survived. Maybe Idaho is now with the Fremen somehow. How does this work? But this was a futile question. He did not yet ask himself if it was possible if Paul had survived. He knew the Baron had, was convinced that all Atreides were dead. The Bene Gesserit witch had been his weapon. The Baron had admitted it himself. And that could mean end all, even the woman's own son. What a poisonous hate she must have had for the Atreides, he thought. Something like the hate I hold for this Baron. Will my blow be as final and complete as hers? And thus ends chapter 29. We are now getting into the last little bit here. Chapter 39. Caleb, give us some credit. Okay, we've come a really long way. We're almost done. 30, 30, 40 chapters. We're at, we're at chapter 40. That's crazy. It's, it's, yes. Uh-huh. Especially because there's not, I mean, there's like 48 chapters. So we're like less than 10 away. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're starting to Ooh. see all these little things happening. So, yes. Um, Jessica's still getting blamed for what's happening. It's, it's, uh, yeah, how it, that's that one thing that how it's gotten wrong that like he's gotten this bad information, right? Cause you can control a Mentat 
by giving them bad information. So how it's been fed right. this bad information. So he can do some computations really well and others that like he just doesn't know where it is. And the Baron even admitted that, oh, yes, Jessica's the one that did all this to only just feed that that prejudice he had towards the Benazirate. Yeah, but it's it's crazy that nobody has told him or he hasn't figured out from anyone or like no one's let slip that it was Yui the, the whole time, you know? Right. That, that's crazy. Uh, Alan just posted on uh, our live stream that says, I hope Jessica and Howitt meet again. That's going to be a spicy meeting. Ooh, very spicy. Very spicy. Ooh, maybe that will happen. We're going about to find out. So I think the big takeaway from this chapter is we're outlining how it's got a plan. The Baron has a plan, but there's somebody that's already doing the plan better. Much better in so so much more detail and like who who is more poised to take over the fighting force of the Fremen than someone they believe is the voice of the outer world, the Messiah Savior, who's going to take them to the next level? What more personal mystique could get them fighting than that? Plus, you have Paul who, and Jessica now, who are now training these forces, they were already killing Sardaukar 5 to 1, are now training them in the ways that were that got the Atreides to almost beat the Sardaukar. I think it's... we He can put all... And that's why this quote at the beginning is so good, right? So, like, Howitt and the Baron want... The universe to make sense they put a plan together little do they know that the universe even is one step beyond paul hadi is already there even the b'nai jezzeret they're trying to put together this breeding plan but he came one generation too early right they don't know the universe is constantly just tipping more as much as right. we want to try to figure it out, it's just tipping in that one direction. Literally, I don't think it'd be like it is, but it do. But it do. <laughs> and that's that. That's it. Uh, Hope, I just want to give you a little sneak peek of the next chapter just to get your hopes up here. Um, the first word is Paul Muhadib remembered. So no more Giddy Prime chapters. We're going into Paul. And what's been happening these last few years. Dude, this whole week, like, I've, like, wanted to keep reading. I want to know what happens to Paul. Like, and I'm like, no, you can't read. You got to read on Thursday. You got to, you got to wait. And then I'm like, all right, it's finally time. You know, it's like, it's my, my, Alarm goes off. Time to read Dune. I get. I open the thing. And it's still another Harkonnen chapter. I was so mad. I cannot stress enough how mad I was. We are only building up anticipation towards the climax oh. of this great science fictional masterpiece called Dune by Frank Herbert. I just want to thank Dave for joining us so far on this journey. 
Hit us up on Twitter at Reading Dune. Email us your favorite moments so far at readingdune at gmail.com. Send us some audio, maybe some videos. Uh, Evan, we also have a Discord, isn't that right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. We'll put the link in. We'll put the link in the description. We're putting it in the description yeah in the description yeah yeah yeah. and if you're on youtube hit the subscribe button if we get enough people we might do book two so we're just saying that and as always please my friends stay spicy stay spicy everyone peace